Corner Boy. Hey, how you doing, Johan? I am pretty good, my man. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Uh, I'm just sat here in the dark. Uh, I've got lights on in my apartment, but I'm in Oslo, so it's very dark, very cold, very wet right now. And I left Wales to get away from this shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Then I guess you expected more of Norway. But hey, I mean, haven't you moved away from Norway in like two or three times already and then you always return? Yeah, yeah. I've been popping in and out for a few years. So I think I've been based here for the best part of a decade. So yeah, what is yeah. So what is it about with Norway that's so I don't know, that makes you want to return to it? Um well, there was just a lot of convenience in it, I guess, at times. You know, every time I've left, I've had a job that I'm coming back to. Where the first time I left, the plan was to go and just keep moving around and head to Australia. But then uh, Tore, you know, Tore, you worked from him as well. Me and Johan met uh, in Norway. And we worked for the same guy at one point. Um, but yeah, he just said, tell you what, do you want to not go to Australia and come back here? And, um, you know, I'll give you a bit more cash and stuff and give you this job position, just sort of helping get those uh, interior construction jobs done in a, in a park full of office buildings. So not like uh, mind blowing work, but it's a really nice company. Uh, they're really good bosses. The guys that own it. It's small. It's friendly. Like, I enjoy going to work every day and hanging out with the people I hang out with. So, yeah, the job basically, man, um, like the last time I've been away now, uh, I spent 18 months traveling through Latin America. And after that, I didn't have so much cash left. But if I was going to move back to Norway, I knew I could just walk back into the country, stay with some friends who live in the city, start working again immediately, start earning some cash and getting ready for the next thing. So, yeah, that's mainly what keeps me coming back, man. Just the fact that I have like a nice, quite well-paying job here. Um, and it's easier than maybe going back to just moving to a new country and trying to find something from scratch in them. So maybe it being a bit, it's a bit of laziness, but it's definitely a comfort thing. It's nice to have it a fall back on. You haven't come back though, have you, since you left? Well, I haven't, but after all, I mean, I did return, I think three times. So I was trying to leave Norway quite a few times myself, but I don't know, I guess you boys always were there on my return so i had good reasons to come back yeah, if you got if you got good friends there you know and you've got a job that you can just walk into and stuff it's um you know it's an easy thing to do isn't it now it's december i'm thinking shit i should have gone to thailand or something but um now this is good it's going to be a very productive period for me I, I tend to get quite a lot done in norway yeah i mean i gotta say i mean john is probably one of those guys that he sets his mind on something and he always does it on hyperspeed and it's always well executed. I mean, for example, your guitar play, man. I mean, I remember when I moved away from Norway, I think it was like five years ago. I mean, you were decent at guitar, but when I heard you, yeah, John was actually riffing for me before this, uh, <laughs> this episode started. And man, you definitely improved. Yeah, I've been getting into it, man. Um, I say I didn't play much while I was traveling. I didn't, you know, I never travel with a guitar or anything because it's too much fucking work. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to get better when I came back. So I've just been playing a lot, watching videos, um, watching a guy called Marty Schwartz on YouTube and bought a couple of his courses. Been fiddling around with some blues. 
Yeah, it's a fun hobby, man. Um, you know, I'd tell anyone to try and learn an instrument. You know, guitars are great because they're so, you know, they're very hard to master. You're not going to be Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix. Only Jimmy Page and Jimi Hendrix are Jimmy Page and Jimi Hendrix. But, you know, with a guitar, it's as, big, it's as big as you want it to be and it's as small as you want it to be. You can learn two or three chords and strum away to a bunch of Beatles tunes and Oasis tunes. Or you can go really deep into the theory and try and learn like jazz stuff, you know. But yeah, I always recommend anyone to learn an instrument. It's a fun process. It's really rewarding. You get something out of it at the end, you know. Sounds good, man. And I mean, and also, I mean, I never really listened to Led Zeppelin before, but I remember I think it was like last week. I I was just scrolling around on YouTube and I just came into some uh, Led Zeppelin live videos. And man, those boys, they rocked. My God. Right, right. <laughs> oh man, you should go through the discography. You should definitely go through the discography uh, in chronological order. That first album, man, just, it came out in 1969, you know. Uh, if you listen to the other music that was coming out then, you can see, I mean, it's mind blowing if it came out today. It's just fucking great music. But when you when you put it in the context of the time it was in as well, it really was something else, man. But yeah, Led Zeppelin are yeah my favorite band ever. I always have a favorite band or something of the moment, but Led Zeppelin are always always the top dogs. But which songs were you listening to? Do you remember? Uh, obviously, Stairway to Heaven, Kashmir. Yeah, yeah Kashmir is a nice one. Mm. I can't really remember because I've never really been into Led Zeppelin before. It's sort of this band that I always overlooked until I actually just yeah last week I came across them and man, I was like, why haven't I? Why didn't I listen to John when he was ranting about Led Zeppelin when we lived together? But hey, no, it's never too late, right? Yeah, it's never too late, man. If you still got the time to get into a band and go through the discography, definitely go through Led Zeppelin. That'll be my first. Uh, it's another thing I'd recommend anyone to do is uh, get into Led Zeppelin. Wherever you're into like <laughs> or jazz or hip hop, get into Led Zeppelin. And I also remember uh, you, when, uh, sorry for interrupting you, but I remember like what you always said as well in Oslo, that you should, that people nowadays don't listen to the full track from the start to finish. Albums. I was probably albums, talking yeah. about albums. Oh yeah, albums. Yeah. I mean. and, that, that's... Big... and again, I guess that goes with context of the time. Um, you know, in the time that we're living in now, music's consumed in a different way with streaming and playlists and stuff so i think a lot of music that's produced these days isn't produced necessarily as an album you know it's maybe a few tracks maybe it's an album to sell a few tracks and some people will be releasing albums like they did in the old days but um you know i think albums are great it's like the full book if you get if you get my meaning um and sometimes if you just listen to one or maybe two songs from an album and you love those songs Why not go in and read the rest of the book, you know? Mm. But yeah, so I'm a big fan. Whenever I listen to music, I mean, I've been a bit better at sort of listening to pe playlists people have made on Spotify when I'm listening to blues and things, but I am still a stickler for putting on an album and listening to the album from start to finish, you know? It's a different way of listening to music, I guess. No, I agree. And that's something I've been cultivating and actually been thinking about ever since you said it. So yeah, cheers for that, man. But I want to segue. I want to segue into a little bit to on a different topic. Uh, so you and me met. I think it was 2010, 
right? Or 11, maybe? 2012. 2012. Man, my age, my memory is not as it used to be. <laughs> but anyway, so you always had this traveling itch. And I met you not through traveling per se, but indirectly through traveling because you met some of our roommates. Do you want to like a little bit go through how this sort of traveling bug caught, I mean, caught you and how that sort of, yeah, how did like that chapter of your life like sort of transpired? Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. So you mean like, uh, does it come down to what is it they say? It's um, environment or character or however the phrase is. But yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe it's a bit of both. Maybe I was just born with wandering feet. And maybe it was a bit of my environment growing up. So my parents had separated when I was quite young. So I was quite used to spending weekends with my father, my father's side of the family, and then coming home to be with my mother. So I guess when I was really young, I was just used to sort of, you know, going away, even if it was for the weekend to be with the parent, it's still sort of moving around a bit, you know. So maybe that had a bit to do with it. I joined the army cadets when I was a teenager in the UK. We have army cadets. It's like a sort of bunch of child soldiers running around with automatic weapons. It's, uh, <laughs> I know it's looked down upon by some, some countries and things, but it's basically the Boy Scouts run by the army. It's a recruitment tool to get you into the army. And it's not all military things. I mean, with the army cadets, I was away traveling a lot, never at war, obviously. We were children, we were cadets, not soldiers. But uh, you did a lot of civilian stuff too. So I actually ended up hiking in Finland um, and in Spain. Um, I spent maybe a few months in total hiking in Scotland, you know, not in military fatigues or anything, just wandering around. So yeah, I've always just liked it, man. Listen to Led Zeppelin a lot. They're always talking about, uh, <laughs> always talking about rambling on. There you go. There's another Led Zeppelin tune you should listen to, ramble on. Um, so yeah, maybe that, man. I don't know. Maybe I was born a bit with it and then growing up, sort of traveling around, see family a lot and being in the cadets and, you know, getting sent places like Finland and Spain. When I was 18, I went out and worked in Greece for a friend of my uncle's for, for a summer. Um, maybe I'm just a bit curious. And I'm also from South Wales, mate. So you want to keep walking when you're from South Wales sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I still haven't been there. So, yeah, you need to invite me at some point. I'll definitely come over and yeah, have a, man, have a few pints in the valleys. Yeah, man, we'll have a few pints in the valleys. I'll take you. We've got some beautiful surfing beaches in Wales, man. Really nice surfing beaches. Not not waves that would excite you, I guess, but some nice longboarding beaches and stuff, you know. Not crowded at all. I've seen some photos of Wales. It's it's pretty decent, man, for sure. Especially, like, I think it's around, like outside Cardiff. So that stretch of coast there? Yeah, it's, um, it's probably, I've probably been showing you this at four in the morning, the Pembrokeshire coast and the coast just outside of Swansea, to the west of Swansea, the Gower Peninsula. There's a bunch of nice beaches there. And because it's Wales, we tend to have not so many tourists. <laughs> when we go to small populations, so, you know, you can go to these beaches on beautiful summer days and there's very few people at a lot of them. Some are very popular, but... If you know your way around, you can find a really nice surf spot, really, uh, really quiet. Yeah, let's do it at some point, man. But would you say that Wales is sort of like this untapped tourist destination then? Yeah, I mean, well, Wales, uh, one thing to remember is geographically, it's tiny. Uh, like geographically, it really is small, man. 
So there's quite a lot that you could do in like, you know, if you were traveling through Europe, for example, and you were going to be in London for a week, there's a lot of stuff you could just take the train to Wales and, and pop in and do something in Wales, you know. There's a lot of nice surfing there, a lot of nice hiking. And yeah, it's untouched because there's so much to do in the UK too. If people tend to have two to seven or eight days, London is probably what they do. If people go far from London, you've got Oxford and Cambridge. You've got places like, um, you know, the Salisbury Plains close by where you've got Glastonbury and Stonehenge and everything. You've got beautiful historical cities down south, um, places like Bath, Winchester, Oxford and Cambridge, like I've mentioned. I know there's a lot going on in the UK for such a small place. So Wales does get overlooked and I'm not surprised. You know, there's there's higher mountains in Scotland, more epic looking mountains in Scotland. There's better surfing beaches um, in the south of England. We've got some nice hills and stuff, but, you know, the the uh, Pennines and the Yorkshire Dales, it's, it's just bigger, man. So, yeah, geographic, we are overlooked, definitely. Um, and I think we're one of the strangest people, man. We're, we're one of the stranger ones. We've got some weird traditions. Uh, obviously, today things are more relics of our past you know but i'm sure i've told you about love spoons before right yeah but i can't remember so please go ahead yeah well you know what do you do if you like a woman lambert if you're a man you make her a spoon go out you go into the woods you find a nice piece of wood and you just carve a really nice spoon maybe carve some hearts into it carve some flowers work on it you know show her your lover and then you give, I can't remember if you just leave it outside or out, so you have to give it to her. But yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's like a traditional, <laughs> now, nowadays you'll see most Welsh houses probably have one just hanging up in the kitchen and they're very ornamental in today's world. But yeah, that's a weird old Welsh tradition. I remember as well having to, I hope I remember this, you know, we we got things at Christmas. I think there was this horse that used to come around to try and drink your beer and you had to chase it away or something. It was like this weird Christmas tradition. We'll have to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually Google this with one hand while talking to you because I remember this from being very, very young. Uh, but yeah, you know, our language, most people don't know. A, they don't know that we're, we, we're a country or we see it would definitely uh, see ourselves as being a nation. I think we're classed as a stateless nation in the UN. Um, but most people don't know we exist, man. And our language is fucking weird. Most people that come across our language, they end up remembering it, you know. Um, so yeah, definitely an untapped gem. But I, I can kind of get it. It's, it's such a small stand, you know. It's such a, a small place. Like you, you've never been yourself. You've been to Scotland, right? I've been to Scotland, yeah. I've been to the southwest of England, many, I mean, twice, surfing as well. Yeah, and you've been to Ireland or? Uh, I've been to Ireland, yeah. But never yeah, you've been to Northern Ireland. I've never been to Northern Ireland, no. Yeah, people tend to leave them out too. But, um, but they're more famous than us for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the thing is, when I actually went down to... Uh, southwest of England, so Cornwall. I actually met like, quite a few good surfers then, now I remember, from Wales. So, yeah, there were some decent decent lads coming out of there. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd tell anyone to obviously, you just want people to enjoy things you've enjoyed in life. That's where your recommendations come from. So I'd always tell people to go to Wales, go hiking in the Brecon Beacons. <laughs> One of the best things about Wales is our coastal path. We're very proud of our coastal path. We've got a path that goes all the way around the coast, Johan. Really? Uh, all <laughs> you can walk the whole thing. You can drive to a spot and walk one or two hours up it and one or two hours down. You can do a two-day hike, a three-day hike. And um, this is something, while, while you're talking to me now, you, can you get Google up? I remember this horse, Mary Lloyd. Okay, Mary Lloyd, let me have a look. Yeah, but it's M-A-R-I, and then yeah. it's L L W Y D. Mary yeah. Lloyd. Uh, the weird, like, Welsh spelling, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I got it up. All right. Now tell me what you see. What are you looking at? This is Mary Lloyd, a midwinter pagan tradition whereby celebrants earn food and drink only after dominating a poetry slam fronted by a skeletal face. Yeah, so what, what you're looking at is a zombie horse, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the way I remember it. Yeah, you got to, like... <laughs> yeah, it was a poetry slam. <laughs> you got to have a poetry poetry slam off against a zombie horse or it comes in your house and eats all your bread and drinks all your beer or something um but yeah man so we're <laughs> we're full of these weird little traditions and quirks and stuff you know and nobody knows we're there i think that anyone who did take the time to go to wales would go they'd leave with a bit more than they thought they'd get i think uh it's just like our attractions, our coastal path. We're very proud of our coastal path. The Danarogov Show Caves, Europe's largest show caves. We got some nice caves. <laughs> you can visit Kevin Coyd Colliery Museum, an old mining museum. We got a mine. We got some caves. We got a path. <laughs> you can see why lots of people don't put it at the top of their list of places to visit, right? Yeah, but dude, now it's like it's definitely sailing up as I don't know, a potential destination to go very soon. I think you and me should go that coastal path, man. Yeah, but I think we should go surfing. I think there's a, there's a lot in Wales I'd like to take you around and show you, man. Swimming in the rivers in the summer, drinking in the beer gardens, surfing on the beaches. So maybe if Corona chills a little bit 2021, we could maybe have a little excursion to Wales in the summer. Yeah, man. Well, let's see how 2021 goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's 2020, see. 2020, we need to pray that uh, Wales is still there by the time we get there, man. But yeah, definitely. And I want—I really want to take you to see a rugby game in Cardiff. Yeah, Six Nations game I would think, be sick. I, I was trying to get you to join the rugby team when you went to Aberdeen University, wasn't I? Yeah. I think you joined I mean, the American Football Society or something in the end, right? Yeah, and then I broke my rib like a week before I was gonna go surfing in Portugal. I was like, "Yeah, fuck this!" <laughs> I was so mad, man. <laughs> yeah. Because I this... yeah, sorry, carry on. No, so we didn't really have. Uh... I mean, we had coaches, but they weren't really fully fledged football coaches. They were sort of like you know students that played like once in I don't know high school. Yeah. People okay. trying their best. Right? Absolutely. I mean, great guys, right? Uh, but obviously, I didn't know how to tackle. So I was just jumping in like elbow tackles, like you know, shoulder tackles, like in hockey. And I broke Wait, my rib. Did you, look like a, 
World Wrestling Federation wrestler going off the top ropes, like elbow first. <laughs> okay, I was trying to pin the elbow close to the body and actually like going with my shoulder. Um, and yeah, I ran into like a 120 kilo guy and then my rib just shattered. <laughs> yeah, those are tough. They're definitely spectator sports for me now. I stopped playing rugby when I went to university and saw the size of the guys on the university team. And I was like, well, rugby gets intense at university level. It's just a step up from the schoolboy stuff, man. Uh, so I definitely saw the physical danger involved in it. So I decided to go rock climbing instead, which, you know, nearly killed me. But <laughs> but I didn't get any uh, injuries. No, but I think the rock climbing is a very good segue into... Rayleigh Beach and Thailand. And that was pre-Oslo, right? So you want to like give me or give us a little sort of rundown of what happened over there? Yeah, well, um, so this is, you lived with Mike and Vigo and I met those two guys in the Philippines. Um, we traveled together for a while and then I ended up moving to Rayleigh to work in a bar. After a few months, they came and spent a couple of months there with me as well. I think, I think they were both there for quite a while. I can't remember exactly how many months because it was so long ago and I was working in a bar, so I <laughs> can't remember much at all, to be honest with you. But yeah, I think I was just um, I was just traveling around Asia and I ran out of money and I remember a nice Thai bar owner telling me that I could always go and like basically live with him <laughs> and work for him. And so one day I just rocked up in Riley Beach in the south of Thailand, Krabi province with my backpack on and saw the guy um, opening up the bar. I just looked at him and was like, when can I start? Because he just smiled. He was like, now you start now. And then, yes, yeah, so I just started working the bar. Ended up me and Mika and Vigo ended up running, running that bar and another one with another Swedish guy called uh, Sebe, Sebastian. He lives in Stockholm, man. I should hook you guys up. Yeah, you should. I haven't seen him. But yes, yeah, so I was in, I was in Riley Beach for, I don't know, Best part of a year, I guess, altogether. Just uh, drinking rum, climbing, hanging out with the Thai rasters. <laughs> and uh, I took you there as well, didn't I, a few years later? Took yeah, you, you to visit? Yeah, you did. But that was sort of when the Russian invasion started, right? Or like maybe a little bit after? Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Was it, was it loads of Russians there when we were there? Yeah, with like, they were living in those like luxurious villas. Like yeah, Bangalore I remember types. that. Like, a lot of the bungalows, I guess that had started when I when I was living there. So when I was there, it was there was one or two really posh resorts on the west side. Um, maybe one or two standard resorty places on the east side and just loads of bungalows. And then when I went back, man, yeah, it was completely different. They'd bulldoze loads. They got rid of a lot of stuff while I was living there. The, the original bar I was working in, that bar, two restaurants, a laundrette, a travel shop, an internet cafe, and a climbing shop, all just got bulldozed because the the way they do it out there is um, you can buy a business or a house or something, but you don't necessarily own the land it's built on. So that's like a, I don't know, like a leaseholding thing. And so the leaseholder just decided to, you know, lease it out to some people who wanted to build a resort. So it disappeared. <clears throat> And that was a trend while I was there. And then I left and I went back with you. And I guess the West side was just posh resorts by then, wasn't it? There's a few areas that were under construction. But yeah, all the bungalows and stuff had gone then, hadn't they? Mm. 
but yeah, I mean, I guess it's, uh, I'd say like, oh, it's, it's bad to see. And, uh, you know, I, I like the sort of old rustic way, but, um, I guess everywhere has a right to develop, you know, I'm sure that places like the coast of Spain are filled with British tourists and retirees were once calm, sparsely populated, uh, little paradises. But yeah, I guess that's just the world, man. Things develop and they have to develop to give everyone living there a better quality of life. Maybe it's not as pretty for us down in Riley now, but the people there have probably got more money. I know there's, you know, that a lot of the kids, all the kids are in good schools out there. They got good education and stuff. So yeah. But yeah, it's a beautiful place though, huh, Riley? It's a very beautiful place. Yeah. And like the sort of the, I wouldn't call them hills. How would you say? Like where you, where you were climbing, just Holders. um, bits of but is it sandstone or I think it's sandstone or granite, just like sheer rocks sticking out of the water. Um, I know one of the James Bond movies was filmed around there. Uh, the man I don't with the know, I right? I'm not sure whichever one has those crazy uh rocks just sticking out of the idyllic water. I don't know if anyone, let, let's call him the listener, because I know only one person's going to listen to this, and that's Adam. So I don't know if the listener has ever been to Ha Long Bay or seen pictures of it in Vietnam, very famous. It's similar to that, you know, it's just those sheer rock monoliths sticking out of the ocean. Each one with a, each one with a legend attached in Thailand, which is really sweet. They've all got like a story of what they are and who they were and things. Yeah, that's really cool. But two things. I'm sure that uh, some more people than Adam's going to listen to this. <laughs> and secondly, <laughs> I, I think the movie was called Man with the Golden Gun. And I think it was, it wasn't Sean Connery. Who was the other, other guy? Um, oh, there's a few. I don't know. Dalton, Timothy Dalton, George Lazenby. He only did one. No. Roger Moore, um, Pierce Brosnan. I think it Those was are uh, Ooh, Daniel Craig. Those are all the bonds I know. Was that all of them? We're getting yeah, points it, for this. It was funny that you actually brought up Dalton and Lazenby before uh, Pierce Brosnan. But yeah, I think it was Pierce Brosnan together with that uh, blonde Swedish woman. I can't remember her name now. Britt Eklund? Yeah, I think it was Britt Eklund. I was going to say, can't that be anyone of about five million? <laughs> but hey, man, I mean, if most places get developed, you know, maybe like more people will just go, come over to Wales then because that might be as be the last sort of. No, last... finally, we'll get some of that tourist dollar. We can do a bit of developing ourselves. Last on the list. Uh, so very Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're just sitting in a corner of that little island, like ignoring the world and being ignored by the world. <laughs> Prodding our sheep and just trying to get along. But yeah, maybe, man. Maybe after the rest of the world has had its day, Wales will have it. We'll to, see. Be fair, to be fair, though, most people from Wales I met have been good people. So I'm sure it would be a very, very much a pleasure to go there, enjoy the culture and hospitality. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, like I say, it's, it's, quite, it's a sweet country. The way I describe Welsh people is just very sweet. And, uh, I guess we're just quite accepting of things. I'll, I'll post you some other stuff, man. But, um, you know, I've seen this on YouTube and somebody, whoever was showing it to me was laughing. And I, it was funny because that's how I grew up. I was being shown a YouTube video from maybe the 60s where all these sheep had gotten loose and they were just in people's gardens and eating the flowers and stuff. 
And uh, I was thinking, well, it's just like how when I when I grew up, man, the sheep would get out of the local sheep farms and they just get everywhere. And they'd send us kids like climbing up the sort of little cliffy type bits of uh, of land to try and get those hard to reach sheep, you know. <laughs> and they'd be in people's gardens and people's attitude, you know, no one could do anything for it. We're just quite non-committal and uh, accepting like, ah, oh, well, I guess there's sheep, you know. They weren't here yesterday, but it looks like they're not going anywhere. We just get on with it, you know. <laughs> do, do you remember how you and me met, by the way? Yeah, you came to pick me up from uh, Oslo Airport with Vigo. Yeah. And I came and moved in with you. I lived in your cupboard, didn't I, for a few months? Do you want to describe what a cupboard is? Well, it was just, it was a cupboard. It's exactly what it is. You know, people think Harry Potter had it hard done by living with the Dursleys. That bastard was living in luxury compared to my cupboard. <laughs> yeah, the fact that he was under the stairs implies that he had headroom. <laughs> I think uh, I'm, I'm quite a short guy. I had to lie down diagonally in that cupboard. But it was a place to live. It was a place to stay. And uh, yeah, that was eight years ago. And I'm back in Norway right now. And I'll be here for another year and a half at least. Yeah, but you live a little bit grander now than in the cupboard. Though. Oh, yeah, it's great. I've got a full-size bed. <laughs> full-size. <laughs> yeah. I've got a window. Moving up in the world, man. Living yeah, the dream. You are, man. I mean, you may, I think I, I must say you've definitely been on a really cool path, though, since I left Norway. Because didn't you go to South America so maybe like a year after I left or something? <clears throat> yeah, I guess that was the year after you went, wasn't it? Yeah, so I guess, yeah, about a year after you left. Yeah, how was that? Yeah, nice, man. It was uh, something I'd planned for a while. So about, I think I was away for about 15, 16 months in the end. That best part of a year and a half. Just traveling from Miami through Cuba and Mexico all the way down to Buenos Aires. Where I took my first flight. I was so proud. You know how much I hate flying. But I didn't fly between landing in Mexico from Cuba and flying from Buenos Aires to, uh, to London. So I think, yeah, and, and that was about 15, yeah, about 15 or 16 months, two continents, about 20 countries. <laughs> I wow. didn't fly with <laughs> yeah, I, I, took a, I took a little boat from uh, Panama to Colombia, took a skiff, just going through these islands, sticking close to the coast because I didn't want to explore the open oceans, man. And I've realized I'm not, I'm not really a fan of being in small boats in rough seas. I don't like being in planes. I find buses quite cramped. You know, I don't. I don't know why I travel. <laughs> <laughs> Walking gets me tired after a day or two. Cycling hurts my ass. Horses hurts my ass even more. Yeah, man. I think I'm done. I'm done. I think I'm done traveling. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, that's some serious commitment, though. Like sort of commuting or traveling to all these places hating every second of it but i mean i guess when you are at the places though you have a great time so yeah, no, there's no commitment or anything to it it's just that's what life was now the buses and things are okay you know you get used to 12 16 20 hour bus journeys you get used to a lot of six hour bus journeys that become 18 hour bus journeys because of things like landslides uh, and also protests if <laughs> we think um you know how 
in Europe, our TVs and our newspapers are full of, you know, American news, American politics, and rightly so. It's a, you know, a hugely influent, influential country. <clears throat> um, ah, I've lost my thread here. Where have I gone? <laughs> uh, what was I just about talking about? Talking about protests. So you, you were talking about yeah, protests. country was I talking about? Uh, I don't know. You were. I mean, we're still in South America, I think, or Latin America. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say we we've seen how politically passionate people in the USA can get, especially at times of elections. You know, we've just had our TVs and everything full of it for about a year, but that's nothing to how passionate they get in Latin America. I mean, these these people are passionate about politics. You know, man. Cities were just erupting. I happened to be traveling through a few places while there were some very testy elections going on. I think not long after I left Quito, there were massive protests in Quito. Uh, I was traveling through Bolivia when Evo Morales was kicked out the country and stuff. The, uh, the incumbent president at the time while there were elections on. Roads were blocked everywhere. People in Peru, people were tossing rocks at buses that were trying to get through roads they'd moved boulders onto. Uh, Santiago went up in riots about a week after I left there, Santiago in Chile, and Valparaiso went up in flames about a month after I left. <laughs> Just kept leaving places that were really nice and beautiful while I was there, and then a week or two later, I was looking in the news, and they were on fire, man. But yeah, it's uh, politically a very passionate part of the world, definitely. That's very interesting, though. But I mean, I guess that it really do matter. I mean, I guess it matters who's the president in America to some extent. I mean, and who, which party is the govern governing party, in, for example, in Sweden. But I guess over there, it definitely matters if you have a, cra a crazy sort of uh, semi-dictator compared to yeah. a, a person. Yeah, exactly. and, you know, there's, there's obvious reasons why Bolivian politics isn't going to be in the news as much as American politics, you know. But if it did receive the same amount of coverage, the same amount of screen time, I think people would see like, okay, now these people are really passionate about their politics. <laughs> That's the best way I can think of describing it, man. Passionate about politics. But, you know, again, that's understandable if you look at the history of those countries as well, isn't it, I guess. But, um, but yeah, so like I say, you get very used to six-hour bus journeys becoming 18- or 20-hour bus journeys. You just uh, take some sleeping pills and get on with it. Some good old Valium. <laughs> I was thinking just sleeping tablets. But, yeah, you can use whatever you want, anything that makes you move. <laughs> But would, wouldn't you say that maybe like passion is something that permeates like sort of South American culture, not um, the South American continent, maybe is the right word as a whole? Yeah, I mean, definitely the Latino, the more Latino cultures. Um, I, I don't think I get that same hot passionate vibe from a lot of the indigenous cultures. Because again, you know, there's obviously Latin America is unsurprisingly full of Latinos, but there's also areas and countries where you have huge indigenous populations you know bolivia is a great example of that i think bolivia's got the maybe google everything i say always i think bolivia might have the largest indigenous population in south america um and you know it's quite 
obvious that they do have a large indigenous population. In Oaxaca State in Mexico, there's a very large indigenous population there as well. And obviously Spanish for these people, these peoples, is going to be a second language too. And then obviously you have the whole thing of community. Oh, <clears throat> I speak Spanish, by the way, for Adam, who's listening. <laughs> um, uh, you get a different vibe from people and you can speak to them in their native tongue. So I didn't speak to any indigenous people in the native tongue, but I definitely got a more reserved, thoughtful um, vibe from, from the indigenous communities I met in Latin America, whereas the, the Latinos, um, definitely uh, passion seems to permeate pretty much everything, you know, from the food to the dancing, to the way they speak to taxi drivers or the way they speak to each other on the street. Different kinds of passion in different places as well. Cali in Colombia is one of the funniest and nicest places I've ever been. And I would recommend anyone to go there, especially any, anyone, you know, I hear a lot about toxic masculinity these days, which is a discussion for other podcasts. But I'd suggest that anyone who's probably being toxically masculine should be taken to Cali where to be masculine is to dance. You know, it, uh, that's the most masculine thing a man can do is to dance. And all the guys in Cali are just into dancing, man. You'll have these these big 50, 60-year-old men who look like they like to sit around and drink tequila and things and, and beer a lot. And they'll they'll start chatting to you and ask you if, you if you've had any dancing lessons while you're in Cali. They'll start showing you moves. They'll be like, I'll be the lady, you'll be the man. So you do this and you do this, you know, these like, and sometimes tough looking guys, man. I've had guys with facial tattoos trying to teach me salsa steps on the street. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely a very Latino culture is very, very passionate. Definitely, man. Yeah, everything. Even the literature, if you, I haven't read much uh, Latin American literature, but what I have read again has been very bright, very colorful. Yeah. Have you been out there yourself to Latin America at all? No, I haven't. I, I always had it on the list, but I never really made it that far. And then obviously I got accepted to Aberdeen. So unfortunately, or maybe not unfortunately, I mean, maybe even fortunately, I have that sort of still on my list to do it. And I know that you had, you've been ranting quite a bit about, you know, yeah, Colombia and Cali and also Argentina. Yeah, Argentina. I loved Argentina. I think you're going to get the most out of, of the places that we spoke about at that time. I think you most out of Mexico. Because you've got the, the whole Pacific coast is just, there's so many surf spots. And obviously the rest of the country, the jungles, the cities, the ruins, the Caribbean side. Um, you know, it's a huge, huge, incredibly diverse, amazing country. But I know that you would definitely spend a lot of time on that Pacific coast. You're nice, man. Cheers for the advice. Uh, but hey, I'm quite intrigued by <laughs> Salsa and Cali now as well. <laughs> yeah. It, and again, I'd recommend anyone. So Adam, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Cali, man. And well, I, I would recommend to anyone if they ever get the chance, if they're as fortunate as I was, to go and spend like a weekend or a week in Cali and take some salsa classes and go out to salsa clubs. It's uh, yeah, really unique city in that sense. Lots of places in Latin America are into the dancing, the famous for it, you know, Havana, for example. But Cali really was something else. <laughs> nice, man. So let's say a person has two to three months to spend 
over in Latin and I mean Central and South America. Yeah. Uh, what would you recommend that person to do? Like, to, where to go? See, I'd have to know the person, and I'd have to be able to interact with that person a bit because to, to give like a blanket thing of three months for that part of the world. I just have to just pick the first few things that came to mind. You know, I could pick any combination of a thousand things and put five or ten of them together for somebody. Um, you know, if somebody was into surfing, I'd recommend a lot of places on that Pacific coast in El Salvador and Guatemala, as well as Mexico, Costa Rica too. If people are more into hiking, I'd be recommending more more the mountains in the Andes, probably more like in uh, Juarez in Peru or in the south of Argentina, Bolivia. Um, you know, if people uh, want to go into the jungle, obviously you've got the the Amazon, Brazil, or Bolivia, Peru. You've got a load of jungle in Mexico, Guatemala. If people want ruins. If people want the Caribbean life, there's another set of places I'd recommend. If people want nature and wildlife, there's another set of places I'd recommend. And again, activities, things like dance, learning to dance or learning to cook or learning Spanish. There's good places for all of those. You know, if you want to learn to dance, what, what do you want to learn? Do you want to learn salsa or do you want to learn, um, I can't remember the names of the other ones. No, merengue. <laughs> well, if you want salsa, right, what do you want to learn? Lime salsa or colenio? Do you want to go to Havana or Cali? If somebody's into surfing, big waves or small waves? I don't know. It's, it's such a big question, man. Uh, I'd tell people to do their research. I'd tell people to think about what they're into and do their research and see what's out there and um, and make sure they're taking the things they'd appreciate most. That's a nice rundown, man. Because I got a picture from you, didn't I, on Facebook when you were in Peru and you were standing in front of Machu Picchu. And dude, that was one <laughs> of the most, like I think it was one of the most heartfelt sort of messages I ever received. I think you said something like, yeah, it's because of people like you, something that brought me to places like this. And then you like looked at like the most happiest boy in the world. It's like, fuck. I really like, I don't know. I really took it to heart, man. So very beautiful. Yeah, good. Oh, I love you, man. You're a very good friend. I love you too, to the listener, Johan, Johan and I are very good friends. We go back about a decade now. Been through a lot together. A good man. And, uh, you know, we are what we're, the people around us help make, you know, so yeah, I'm glad I, f- I didn't, I forgot I'd sent that to you, but I'm glad I did. <laughs> it was an amazing. Yeah, dude, we had a, such a good crew in Oslo as well. That was a really good time. Uh, so me and John, actually, how we met was funny because me and Vigor, our f- uh, former housemate, we were, we were going to pick up John at a specific date. And Vigor just told me when I got back home from, jo- uh, from work, okay, man, we're going to pick up uh, John at the airport. I was like, yeah, you know which airport though? Uh, Oslo. And, you know, classic sort of like, you know, Expedia yeah. or, you know, Skyscan. They, like, they always had like four airports having sort of the same city name, but they could be like in a vast different distances. I remember telling him specifically, Riga. I remember writing it to him and I remember going back into my messages and checking. So I, let's just say it was a lack of due diligence made Vigo drive you and him to the wrong airport. And then you came to the correct airport and found me, and I had to sit on your lap all the way back. Yeah, but the uh, distance, went, but the distance to first the uh, wrong airport was like, sort of like fifty minutes, and then to Riga was another like two hours. I think we spent like three hours <laughs> picking you up. It's fine. I, I, 
Where'd I come from? Uh, Austria, I think, or Hungary. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember. Where it was. And you were trying yeah, to fuck. You were trying not to fart on me, right, for like a good two hours because you were sitting in my lap because we only had two seats in the car. You. And if there is anyone listening to this who's never seen Johan before, he's a big man. He's a big, muscly man. He's not the kind of man you want to fart on. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, when you get to know him, he is. When you get to know him, he is. But uh, if you just met him in a dark alley, you, you wouldn't fart on him. Oh, that's nice of you to say. <clears throat> By the way, do you have a do you have a piercing? Uh, no. Oh, I have a plaster on my ear right now. Ah, okay. But it's uh, not a piercing. I, I thought I thought it was a rock piercing. No, no, I've never. I don't know if I have owned jewelry. I think. I think I've got an old necklace and ring from my father, of my father, but I've I've never worn any jewelry or anything. Uh, I should start, huh? Well, I mean, if you want to, it's quite nice to keep it clean as well. But I can see you I'm, with a no, big. I'm gonna go big. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it one day. I'm gonna go big. I'm gonna go full like uh, 80s, 90s hip hop with it, man. <laughs> yeah, you should go man. big and go home. <laughs> I do. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna wrap up now. I mean, there's so much more we, we can talk about because obviously you and me could have some pretty interesting discussions about the way of the world and how the world sort of works through our lenses, and we can both have some big rants. So I think that could be saved for some other time. But I think that could be quite interesting to dive into as well. Yeah, well, we could probably have a whole bloody series, man. But uh, <laughs> I guess this was like a nice little uh, introduction. Nice to be on a podcast. So um, that's what I'm saying. Maybe maybe there were a few people who started listening to this podcast, but there's only one left. That's Adam. He only got through this shit because it's uh, because he's my friend. You're doing a great job, Johan. I'm just a bit worried about my input. That's all. I hope I haven't ruined this for you. I hope I haven't oh, no. cost you. A, I hope I haven't made a whole bunch of people unsubscribe from your podcast. No, man. I'm so stoked to have you here, man. And it was fine, definitely. I really appreciate yeah. you coming on. Yeah, nice one, man. Uh, nice speaking to you, as always. Until next time, man. Until next time. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.